strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Out of all the rangers, you know you're the mastermind. Oh, yeah. Run, run, Rudolph. Randolph ain't too far behind. All right, welcome back, everybody. Run, run, Rudolph. I'm Barry Markson in for Mike today, and hope you're having a great holiday season. Christmas is uh, just around the corner. If you're out there uh, shopping, I got to tell you, I do like this time of year. Uh, but I don't like the added traffic. I feel like there's a lot of folks out there who I don't see on the roads until now. <laughs> there's a lot of people who I don't, I just never see out there. And then suddenly around Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, it's just like, boom, everybody's out there. So a lot more traffic. But it is a good time of year. Beautiful here in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, great winter weather we're having uh, here for ourselves. And that uh, that part works well. Um, I wanted to discuss this with you, the Title 42. Now, it's something we've been talking about in Arizona and here around the country for quite some time. It was put in place during COVID. Um, and really what it is, is it's a it's a health regulation. It's set up uh, to avoid people coming into the country who may have COVID. It was a, to try to protect uh, our citizens uh, from people coming in. And what were what it did was is people came to our borders, to our port of entries uh, and sought asylum. Uh, they were told, we will take your application, but you cannot come into the United States because of Title 42. We're going to keep you out uh, because we don't know who has COVID or other health emergencies. And I want to be clear about that. Title 42 does not affect what we commonly refer to as illegal immigration. It does not affect uh, people who are coming into, you know, coming over uh, the wall or people who are sneaking into the country. It's for asylum seekers. And hundreds of them are are always coming to the border. This is something that's been going on for, for a long time. And during the Trump administration, the number of asylum seekers from South America was increasing uh, tremendously. We, we talked about the caravans, if you remember, uh, of people that were coming forward. And that has continued under the Biden administration. In fact, it, it has gotten greater. Um, many people blame the Biden administration for having policies in place or, or at least making it seem publicly like we are more open to that sort of thing now, when in fact, we really aren't. Um, but the Biden administration sought the expiration or said we're going to let it, Title 42 expire, uh, partly, I think, because it was a public health rule. And legally, uh, if the pandemic is over, if we're no longer keeping emergency COVID procedures in place, how do you keep this in place? Which was uh, put in place, uh, again, under the Trump administration in 2021 to keep uh, down the spread of COVID. Um What we're seeing now, though, uh, what happened now is it was set to expire tonight at midnight. Uh, Nineteen states, including Arizona, filed a brief with these with the Supreme Court asking them to stay that decision by the administration. Um, The Supreme Court yesterday, in the form of Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, said, "Okay." And it issued a very a temporary stay and, and invited the Biden administration to file a responsive brief uh, to what was filed by the uh, response to the motion filed by the uh, states by 3 p.m. Arizona time today. So I expect the Biden administration will do that. And then my expectation is that in the very near future, the court in an abbreviated fashion, we're not going to have a full oral argument and hearing here. It's not being briefed fully, uh, but the court will then make a decision of whether or not a more uh, more sturdy stay uh, delay will be put in place place. Uh, if the court says yes, if the court thinks the the claims of these 19 states is sufficient, that in other words, that they will be harmed and somehow what the federal government is doing by letting Title 42 uh, expire will harm the states, the court may well say, uh, OK, we're going to keep the stay in place. We're going to have a we'll put up a briefing schedule. We'll see where this goes. Um, 
If not, uh, the judge will simply lift the temporary stay, and I expect t- Title 42 at that point will expire almost immediately. Now, I will tell you the expiration for this has been put off several times through court cases and other things. It theoretically has given the Biden administration more time uh, to beef up uh, its its presence at the border. And again, this isn't a situation, it's certainly needs security there, but it's not a situation where we're trying to keep people from coming in. These are folks who are showing up, standing in line to be processed. That's really what this is. They're seeking asylum. They're coming from countries where, uh, from Venezuela or from other Southern American countries, um, and they are coming here for whether they're running from violence, they're running from persecution, uh, they're running from uh, economic persecution, they can, all sorts of different reasons. Whether or not that's sufficient for them to come into the United States, I don't know. Uh, those are the standards we should be addressing uh, together in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, but these folks are coming here legally. They're trying to come here legally. They're applying for access to the United States uh, under our asylum laws, and we have laws that allow them to do that. So to call them illegal immigrants, I don't think is a fair statement. Uh, if if they're allowed in, they're being allowed in by us. We're letting them in. We're processing them. We're taking their name. We're taking their application for asylum. And then it's the problem is we don't, we don't process those applications fast enough. And Perhaps we need to make clear that we don't allow people, maybe the law needs to change, uh, that we're not going to let asylum seekers into the country until their application has been processed and their case has been heard. Um, I'd be fine with that. I think that's a reasonable thing for us to do rather than let in what they're saying will be now 18,000 new people every single day uh, who are waiting for these asylum claims. Um, we, you know, whether or not we should have some idea of where they go, uh, you know, should they apply for asylum in their home countries? Uh, yeah, I think that's how this should work. I think they should go to the to the U.S. embassy in their home countries and file an asylum application and let that be heard, and then we can go from there. But uh, the reality of it is that's not how it works. That's not how the law is set up right now. So these folks are complying with Arizona law, with the, with the United States law, believe it or not. I mean, that's what they're doing. Uh, we may not like them coming. We may not, may not like the number of them coming, uh, but that's how how this works, and it's something we've always done in the United States. We've always been uh, always always offered asylum to people in other countries who are being persecuted or hurt or violent. I mean, this is this is how people came here after World War II. This is how people uh, come here from other countries where people are being uh, being beaten or killed or tortured or whatever it may be based on their governments and what's happening there. Um, it's happening now. And yes, they're coming from countries that, that we're concerned about or some people are concerned about, but this is what it is right now. So uh, Title 42 did a very good job. It supposedly kept 2.5 million people from being in the country, in the United States, while their case was being heard. I think that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know that Title 42 is the right, again, from a legal aspect of it. If you look at this as a public health regulation and we're this far past COVID, if in fact that's where we are, um, then... I don't know that legally it's, it should remain in place, but they should have put something else in place. The biggest issue we have on our border is both parties' failure to address these issues in a bipartisan way. We could have had bipartisan immigration reform during the last two years uh, with the Democrats in control. You would still need Republican help, uh, but with the Democrats in control and with some compromise and discussion with Republicans, I think they could have come to some sort of a reasonable uh, reform that would have been good for the country. And once again, uh, that window has closed, and we haven't done it. And uh, I'm I'm convinced it's because both parties see this as a positive politically for them. It's some it's a drumbeat that they get to beat on. Uh, they say it makes the other side look bad. They raise money on it. It gets their people excited. Uh, and it's a shame that we are all sitting here in the middle of it now, decades in, uh, without any sort of actual immigration reform that would help the United States. It's it's awful that we allow our politicians to do that. But that's what we do. Coming up. 
Uh, this is <laughs> this is not good news for the Suns. We know everything that happened with Robert Sarver. Uh, he's now being forced to sell the team, uh, in essence. Uh, and now a new ESPN report out about more office things it, with the Suns, not involving Sarver this time. Uh, we'll tell you what those are next. I'm Barry Markson. Stay with us. It's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Best Christmas music here. All right, welcome back, everybody. Barry Markson with you in for Broomhead. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I'm going to tell you, coming up at 1030, we're going to talk about January 6th committee and what they did. Their decisions are out. Um, and we'll have that for you right after the news at 1030. Uh, but right now, the, the Suns, uh, well, look, we all know what happened with the Suns. It was a year-long, it seemed like, investigation into Robert Sarver. Uh, it, it actually didn't end all that badly. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't attractive for Sarver, uh, what he did, but... Um, the Suns, uh, the the league uh, suspended him for one year, but the fallout from that uh, resulted in Sarver saying, I think, saying it's untenable, but actually saying publicly he's going to sell the team, and that's that process is in place, I, as I understand it. They're taking bids or certainly uh, gauging interest, and I think the team will be sold, as it seems. Uh, now, a new report out on ESPN uh, that Suns president Jason Rowley uh, and others uh, took part in the toxic culture, and uh, that it wasn't just Sarver. Uh, doing what we've already learned he did in that incredibly long re- uh, report and investigation. Uh, now more detail coming out and additional uh, testimony uh, that Rowley, who's the team's uh, president and uh, he was COO and I think CEO, uh, is... Uh, CEO Jason Rowley is is that he participated in some of this. And there are things going back to 2013 uh, where he's accused, again, according to this report, I don't know if this is true or not, but he's accused of cursing and screaming at a pregnant woman uh, after uh, he heard her complain about the organization's reporting structure. This is this is uh, an employee later that year. The same woman had problems uh, having her maternity leave approved and was fired after she returned from the league. Um, one of her supervisors asked for the executive team to wait until her her return to terminate her. Others, including Rowley, uh, pushed to have her terminated earlier. Uh, and that was, it was referenced in the initial report. Another woman who was a target of, again, according to this report, of Rowley's behavior, uh, he tore into her, uh, is what it says, uh, after she had scheduled a company gathering at a restaurant. Uh, the restaurant said it had a scheduling mistake and couldn't host the party. Uh, and it was not the son's employee's fault. Uh, but Rowley blamed her, left her in tears. Uh, and that employee also eventually left the team. So, uh, what we're seeing is just multiple examples of, of Rowley apparently cursing, uh, demeaning security officials uh, when they asked for credentials and passes when he attended events. Um, I mean, that's kind of an amazing thing, right? Like you show up and they don't know who you are in plain clothes, like some a security officer who's standing there. He doesn't know who you are. He does his job. He asks for it. Um, you don't do that. It's insane. I, I it's funny. I'm the I'm the chair of a, of a board on, on this charity. It's a big charity in town, and we have a facility and a security. And most of the time, I walk in and they wave me through, and that's the end of it. And frankly, I have a card. It's easy. I, I it's all electronic. Uh, but uh, the other day, I forgot my card. 
And I go walking in, and it was actually a security guy I didn't recognize, and he did what he's supposed to do. He asked who I, you know, he asked me for my ID. He did what he's supposed to do. I said hi, and I moved on. I mean, that's it's insane to me that somebody would start screaming at somebody who's. I mean, are you putting your picture out to all these people? Are supposed to memorize who you are? It's just it's the sort of thing that's just so immature. Uh, it does it does surprise you. And I, look, I, I don't know Jason Rowley. I, I don't know anything about him, but uh, it does it doesn't sound like a nice uh, place to be. Um, I don't know. <laughs> the Suns ultimately made, they made the, the Suns ultimately made a special badge for executives uh, that security uh, employees renamed the Rally Badge, uh, and they were told not to engage with Rally uh, even when he entered restricted areas with large group of associates. They were just told leave him alone, uh, so that they, they, I guess they didn't get yelled at. And he started curtsying at him. At one point, Rally is is uh, alleged to have asked a manager to fix the problem and emailed the manager with a follow up requesting that an employee be fired after stopping Rally's wife from entering a restricted. Area. Uh, in another case, Assange allegedly mistreated a pregnant employee. Um uh, allegedly told uh, their general counsel told the, the pregnant employee that the team didn't have a formal maternity leave pro- uh, policy uh, because Robert doesn't believe in one. Um, Sarver denied that in the case uh, and said it was nonsense, uh, but other people reported that to be true. By the way, I don't know that a company has to have a maternity leave program. If you don't want to work at a company that doesn't have a maternity leave program, I guess you should ask that before you go to work there. Um, in, in essence, I, I don't want to run through every one of these details, but I'm just going to tell you, it's not a good look for the Suns. It's not a good look for any company, but the fact is many, many companies uh, deal with this uh, all the time, and people have to make decisions if they want to work there or not, and if it becomes that abusive or that harassing or something that violates the law, you can bring EEOC complaints and, and lawsuits. But uh, it, certainly for the, uh, the Suns, uh, which is a company that is in the public eye representing Phoenix and Arizona in many ways, it's not a good look uh, and kind of continues on that path. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll have a new owner. I, I feel bad for Sarver. I, I think it's a, you know, I, I don't think he acted well, but I don't know that you should lose your team over that. Uh, but in this day and age, that's how it works out. Um, this to me just adds to it and, and certainly looks to be a team that was not treating all of its employees well. And that's unfortunate. Coming up uh, right after the news, Jeff Munn standing by here in the KTR News Center. We're going to talk about the January 6th committee and what they did. Uh, we know what they did to Trump. We're going to talk a little bit about the mention of Arizona politicians in this report uh, and what it means. We'll have that for you next. I'm Barry Markson in for Broomhead. Stay with us, everybody. It's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Barry Markson, in for Mike today, uh, taking a day or two off uh, for the holidays. Hope you're enjoying your Christmas season as well, and happy Hanukkah to everybody if you celebrate that. Uh, I, uh, we are, uh, we, <laughs> this is an incredibly busy news time. I have to tell you, uh, you know, as somebody who fills in around the holidays uh, most years and has been doing that for quite a while, uh, it's a little slow news time usually. And this year, my goodness, so far, uh, this has been crazy, certainly here in Arizona. We have all the Arizona election lawsuits, uh, and we'll give you an update on the Kerry Lake suit coming up here just after news at 11. We'll let you know uh, what the court ruled in her, uh, in the motions to dismiss her case and what happens next. Um, and of course, in Washington, D.C., the January 6th committee just held uh, their last hearing yesterday. Uh, and it was a blockbuster, really went down a bunch of the evidence that they've presented. And 
you know, I, I've been saying this, and I'll just very quickly say, if you haven't watched it, and I know you, you, a lot of people haven't. Uh, if you, you know, if you're, you, you didn't want to, you don't want to know the bad things that happened, or people have been telling you it's all, it's all just biased. Uh, I will just tell you that the evidence that was presented, uh, they, they interviewed a thousand witnesses, they reviewed, I, I don't even know how many emails and text messages and things from from uh, uh, from uh, their subpoenas or things that were voluntarily provided to them. But most of the witnesses and most of the information provided, the vast majority of it. Uh, came from Trump inside people, people who worked in the White House, people who worked in the West Wing, uh, the people who worked directly for uh, then-President Trump, including his house, his house White House counsel people, uh, including his campaign people, including chief of staff and people in their office. Uh, these were Trump insiders. These are people that are dealing with him on a daily basis uh, and who were there on January 6th and there uh, prior to that when he was meeting with what they called the crazies, uh, the Rudy Giuliani's and the Sidney Powell's and, and, and those types of folks. I mean, it just it, it really was kind of amazing. And the evidence that came out overwhelmingly showed um, a plot uh, from Trump and others uh, to overthrow uh, the results of our presidential election. I mean, that's I, you know, it really is. A, it was a coup. Uh, we voted. Joe Biden won. He won by like seven million votes overall. Uh, and there were people starting with Trump who didn't either didn't want to believe it, didn't want to leave, uh, and tried to keep power through ways that were not legal. And thank goodness uh, there were people like Vice President Pence who said, uh, "I'm not going to do that. It's not legal, and I'm not going to do it. It's not constitutional." Uh, he wasn't going to. He, he refused to uh, not certify the the election results. Uh, and going down to Governor Ducey here in Arizona, another Republican who, um, under extreme pressure from Trump and his people, uh, still certified Arizona's votes because that's what he was required to do by law. Uh, there were all sorts of people, and many of them Republican, who did the right thing in Atlanta and Georgia, uh, who did the right thing despite unbelievable pressure to overthrow the election. And what this January 6th commission did uh, was was uncover that. And the evidence that was presented, you may not like it, but the evidence that was presented uh, was from Trump's own people. It wasn't it wasn't argument. It wasn't uh, it wasn't made up. So what we learned yesterday is that the commission, the January 6th committee uh, made referrals to the Department of Justice. They did a criminal four criminal referrals of Donald Trump and two additional things uh, that they asked the department to look into. Here's what happened. Technically, this doesn't have any meeting. DOJ prosecutors are pursuing their own mission, their own cases. They may or may not result in charges. But this is now the judgment of a duly formed and bipartisan committee of Congress that says we found these four specific areas that we believe a crime was committed. That makes it extraordinarily difficult for the Department of Justice to take a pass on this. Yeah, it, it really does. And, I, you know, the Department of Justice was investigating this anyway. And I will tell you, this is a, this is a tough sell. I mean, if you're, if you're going to file suit, if you're going to indict a former president, Never been done before. You you better make sure you've got it. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be the guy uh, who indicts a former president and loses because he's not going to he's not going to plea it out. I don't think um, he's going to use it for all he can. All he can. He's going to raise money off of it. He's going to publicize it. He's going to jump. This is going to you are going to be at the heart of the storm and you better win. And I'll be frank with you. I, I don't know enough about the case to make that decision for them. But I will say the the bit I've seen and it's been a substantial bit just coming off of January 6th. Um, it looks like there's enough there to support 
uh, the, the certainly criminal indictment and conviction. It's it's pretty incredible. Uh, the the referrals include insurrection, uh, obstructing a, con- a congressional proceeding, and conspiracy to defraud the United States, uh, conspiracy to make a false statement. Um, there was also some other areas of accountability that they put out there for the Justice Department. And one of the things they pointed out was it isn't just us saying this. Uh, we've had to present our evidence to federal judges uh, in order to get subpoenas granted. Uh, and and when, when people try to quash those subpoenas and judges on their own in reviewing the evidence uh, that that's in front of us, judges on their own have said that felonies appear to have been committed by Trump and by by Eastman, uh, the lawyer, one of the lawyers he relied on and others. Um, you know, Trump's always careful about this kind of stuff. And you're, there's defenses to this. I was just relying on the advice of my attorney. I was, you know, I didn't say to, to go with st- attack the Capitol. I didn't know it would be violent. There's all sorts of things like that. The other thing you have to remember uh, that really came out in this January 6th committee uh, hearing is that what Trump did when January 6th was ongoing for over an hour and a half, for 187 minutes, uh, for almost two hours, uh, the president of the United States, who's charged with protecting the Capitol, protecting our country, did nothing. He didn't call. He didn't call to see if uh, the the National Guard should be there. He didn't call anybody. He didn't call his vice president, who was under physical attack. People in the vice president's security detail, his Secret Service agents, literally testified that they were calling their wives and families because they didn't know that they'd make it out alive. That's the risk that the vice president was under at that time. And President Trump didn't even call him. Didn't even call him to see what was going on. Didn't take calls from congressional leaders. Um, all he did was make calls to some of his his people to say uh, that he wanted them to continue the fight. He wanted them to continue to object to the certification of the vote. It was a, an amazing dereliction of duty. Uh, and that alone should make it impossible for him to be president of the United States again. And yet there are many people who still support him. It's it's okay to say I support his policies. I like what he did uh, po- uh, from a policy standpoint as president, but I can't support the rest of this. That's okay. And I know a lot of his supporters, you don't like Liz Cheney, and we've become so tribal now. It's either you're with us or you're against us. That's not how this really is supposed to work. You're, it's okay to like a policy. It's okay to have policy differences. It's not okay to try to ignore the vote of the people of the United States or to overthrow the government in a coup. We had a president who literally, according to this January 6th committee, who literally tried to stay in office even though he'd lost. That's what a coup is. He lost the election and he was taking steps and trying to find a path forward where he could stay in office after January 20th. It was It's amazing. And if you're a patriot or a freedom-loving person or just an American, uh, you should be upset by that. You should be flabbergasted by it. If Obama had done this, people would be calling for him to be, to, to, and, and I, I shouldn't say it this way, but he should be strung up and he should, there should be the death penalty for the level of treason that this is. But because it's Trump and because Fox News didn't jump on it right away, I mean, it's just, the whole thing's just absolutely amazing. And I hope, I hope if you haven't yet, take some time, look at a summary of what they found. The evidence is overwhelming uh, of what they found. Uh, and Trump, of course, uh, had a response after the, the hearing yesterday. And, and here's what he said, according to Jonathan Carl with ABC. Donald Trump responded to this by once again attacking the committee and insisting that all the investigations he has faced have only made him stronger. As for the Justice Department, no response there yet. Of course, they will make their own decision about whether or not to prosecute Trump. Their investigation is well underway. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the Justice Department does. I will tell you, I think uh, the Mar-a-Lago document case, the the uh, government documents that Trump took and kept at Mar-a-Lago and lied about keeping and, and continued, they just found some more. Um, 
I think that case is just slam dunk. I mean, it's just the law. I looked at what the law is. I looked at what he did. Uh, they tried over and over and over again just to get him to give this stuff back, and he wouldn't do it, and he lied about it. Um, I, I think that's a slam dunk. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if, if the Justice Department is going to mess with this, uh, with this insurrection or not, because it's certainly going to be a harder case to prove. Um, it's also some of the the insurrection law hasn't actually been enforced. You know, it's never been prosecuted for years, decades, decades. So whether or not they go that route, I don't know. Uh, I will tell you that if the if the Justice Department files anything against Trump criminally and indicts, I will guarantee you that they feel they have an absolute airtight, strong case because there's no way they're going to do this with anything else. It'll have to be such a strong case that anybody looking at it is just going to go, yeah, you have to file that. That's that's how big it'll be. All right, coming up. Did you have a favorite TV show, uh, either now or when you were younger? Uh, and how much did you love it? There's a there's a pop up restaurant in New York uh, that recreated sets uh, from from an old TV show that people loved. We're going to tell you which TV show and uh, talk about that next. I'm Barry Markson in for Broomhead. It's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Merry Christmas, Christmas come this time each year. Ooh, well, way up north oh, Beach Boys. Welcome back, everybody. Barry Marks in, uh, with you here for Broomhead, taking a few days off. And uh, you just heard the news. Jeff Munn uh, in the KTR News Center reporting uh, that Matt Ishbia uh, is reportedly uh, moving to uh, purchase the Suns from Robert Sarver. Uh, you know, we just mentioned what happened with Sarver and the Suns investigation by the league. Uh, the team is up for sale. Matt Ishbia is about a he has a net worth of approximately about five billion dollars. He owns a, a wholesale mortgage company. Um, that was started by his father in 1986. Uh, his father was an attorney and started kind of a little thing on the side doing wholesale mortgages. Uh, it turned into the largest wholesale mortgage company in the country. Uh, Matt Ishbia joined it in 2003 after graduating from Michigan State uh, and uh, is now a, obviously a multi-billionaire. He obviously loves sports. Uh, the reports are that he rep- uh, uh, went after trying to buy the uh, Denver Broncos uh, and he also was trying to get and may still be trying to get the, uh, the, the purchase the commanders um, in Washington. So uh, obviously somebody who has an interest in sports wants to be a team owner uh, is is very wealthy. Uh, and uh, it looks like the reports are from ESPN that he uh, is interested in pursuing uh, the Phoenix Sun. So we'll continue to follow that story here on KTAR. Stay with us as more information comes in. We will have that for you. Uh, but if that is true, certainly a wealthy individual. We don't have any information on the sale price. Um, you know, people have been speculating whether he'll buy the, whoever the new owner is, is going to buy the entire team or just Sarver's portion of it. Uh, but Sarver, as a managing partner, has the ability uh, to sell the entire team. If he says he's selling, he can sell 100% of the team, and the other partners just have to go along with it. I expect that's what will happen, but we'll find out. So uh, in any case, uh, he's a Chicago, Illinois billionaire. Uh, he's uh, in the wholesale mortgage business, and he is apparently uh, first up uh, to buy the Suns. We'll see where that goes, and we'll continue to keep you up to date. Barry, I just wanted to add something that I've seen online as well for Suns fans who are concerned that somebody with basketball knowledge would be in charge. According to reports, Matt Ishbia played college basketball at Michigan State for Tom Izzo and was part of their national championship team in 2000. Oh, all right. Well, obviously a sports lover and a a college basketball player, so that might be be something good there too. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes, but uh, we'll continue to keep you up to date here on KTAR. All right, I did want to just touch on this for you. If you're a 
fan of uh, you know TV shows. We're all fans of different TV shows. Uh, I just saw this in it's in New York right now, but there is a pop up restaurant. Uh, it's <laughs> it, it never a show that I was a big fan of, but I'll tell you, a, a lot of people are. It's a Golden Girls pop up. And when you go when you go to this see this pop up, they have restaurant there. They have the cocktails named after the, the characters. The Dorothy is a nineteen dollar cocktail. Uh, you can go through. They have the really you've recreated the kitchen uh, and the bed Blanche's bedroom and other scenes from the thing. And apparently, uh, it was already in L.A. and it was sold out there for twelve weeks. It sold out in New York. Uh, it is not coming to Phoenix, unfortunately, but uh, it will be in Miami and Chicago and San Francisco. So if you still want to try to find it, and it's a company. It's called Bucket Listers. And I guess they create kind of bucket list things. And uh, this Golden Girls thing, I, I, again, I don't get it, <laughs> but it was a super popular show back in the mid-80s, early 90s, uh, and apparently still has quite a few people who love it now. So uh, they had a Golden Con last year um, with trivia games and autograph signings and other things, and there's just a lot of fans of this show. I know it's on, I think, at the Hallmark Network. It's been been replaying a lot. So uh, very interesting. What is your show? Like, what is the show? I would never go to a Golden Girls pop-up, uh, but is, is there a show you would go to if, if uh, if they came here and had a pop up, I mean, I th- I think mine, uh, mine for sure uh, would likely be. Yeah, I do that. I'd go hang out in Jerry's apartment. I don't think there's any question. I'd go hang out in the diner. I'd go hang out in Seinfeld. That's that's where I would go. That would be my thing. But I don't know that there's another show I would do that with other than uh, other than Seinfeld. How about you, Julia? Oh, I'm definitely going to a Friends pop-up. A Friends? You're going to go to Friends? Yeah. I love Seinfeld, but Friends has always been one of my favorite shows of all time. Is that right? Now, Friends, were you watching it in reruns when it came out? Yes. You, it wasn't... Uh, you weren't... You weren't uh... No, I was able to binge the whole thing on Netflix. So <laughs> It is amazing. Even The Office has had... Like, my kids watch The Office, and I'm like, they love it. And I'm like, really? It's, it's just shocking to me, but they, they love that stuff. So, well, anyway, the Golden Girls pop-up is uh, going on right now in New York City. It'll be coming to several cities around the country, not Phoenix. Uh, but uh, these are, it's incredible how popular these things are. And this bucket listers company apparently making quite a bit of money uh, getting people. You have to buy tickets. You have to go to the thing. You can buy food and drink while you're in there. And it's all theme related. And I guess down to the last, last detail. So that part of it is uh, is definitely pretty cool. So uh, I, th- I thought that was cute. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to hear from... Uh Jeff Mund in the KTR News Center will have an update on that purchase, uh, a potential purchase of the Suns and the buyer, uh, as well as additional information about the election lawsuits. And on the other side, we're going to talk about those election lawsuits here in Arizona. The Abe Hamaday suit for Attorney General, that election suit, uh, it, we're set to see a decision from the judge in Mojave County today by 2 o'clock. That's what the judge told us yesterday at the conclusion of that motion to dismiss oral argument. And uh, we did receive late yesterday an order in the in the Kerry Lake case from the court that dismissed. 80% of the lawsuit, 8 out of 10 claims were dismissed, 2 remain. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we get back. What does it mean? What's the schedule going forward? Uh, and is there really a chance here uh, for Kerry Lake to somehow overturn the vote of Arizonans? We'll tell you the legal process, uh, where we are now, and where it's heading. So we'll have that for you here uh, in just a couple of minutes after the news. You don't want to miss that. I'll, I'll, I will tell you online, and you can follow me at, on Twitter. I'm at Barry Markson 1, Barry Markson 1 on Twitter. Uh, and folks are, are talking to me about it, a lot of Carrie Lake people, because she's saying it that she won. I failed to see how you won. Uh, 80% of your case was dismissed, and the judge said you have to prove uh, that these other people intentionally tried to keep you from winning. Uh, we'll talk about that next and how high that standard is. Stay with us. I'm Barry Markson. It's KTAR, uh, continuing our election coverage, believe it or not.